definitely in a crazy time and it's uh it's like that's all we need is after corona to have some kind of war that's going on in the world and it's definitely going to affect us much more because this is a attack on europe uh and um and just the peace of the world like nuclear threats and and the language that's going on is very very scary and we can't ignore that there are many many jews that are that are stuck uh that are lost that are homeless as well as the ukrainians we care about everyone um but it really does touch home and uh we are praying and i'm going to say this discussion tonight reading some torah it's the minimum we can do as well as donating money uh is to read some torah so that they should have a healthy and safe environment to be in um you know it was it's interesting cuz the just this week someone was telling me that um you know jewish events they're somewhat religious well i guess it, they are if they're jewish but whatever so i don't i don't want i don't like religious events i want cultural events and um it's funny that it's it's this week specifically this week when we're watching rabbis that are on the field staying in Kharkiv staying in Kiev they're not from there the chabad rabbis that are there are not from there they came some of them came from california i was just watching a zoom call with the rabbis that are currently on on the grounds in different parts of ukraine and they open their synagogue and their house and people non-Jews are begging to come into their building as well and they they are letting them in of course but the synagogues are packed people just crashing there because they are afraid and they know that synagogues are a safer place that they hope will not be bombed and these rabbis are literally in danger with their kids and their family and uh and they're not even from there but they are so committed to the Chabad movement and to the idea of spreading Judaism and they've been there for so many years they can't just leave their community their community excuse me and they're still there for them it's amazing you know when when you see evil you also see from the other side a tremendous amount of good that comes from it you know um i remember hearing a story of a, a rabbi that was once confronted by someone that was going that survived the holocaust they said I, i i can't live anymore so the rabbi said why he said because humanity got to such a low level i don't want to live anymore so he says you're looking at the wrong side of humanity it's true that the nazis got to a very low level but look what the jews were doing whilst they were being killed like how they would sacrifice their minimal rations for for the for they didn't even have food for that day but they would give it because they saw a crying child like you saw the greatest of humanity also in the time of uh the evil of humanity so he said you're looking at the wrong side you got to look at the other side and see how people gave over their blankets after working all day in the cold they gave over their blankets instead and and made sure that someone else was warm because they didn't want to see someone else cold that's hero heroism that's humanity so sometimes you got to look for the right places to find humanity and when you see the unity in the world and like how so many people want to help and try and see how they can help it 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 says something to us so um 
that uh, that was my little thought that I had today. Is like, oh, so I was saying about this person that was saying to me, I don't like religious groups. You know, even the person that hates or really doesn't connect to the religious part of Judaism when you need it. It's the religious ones that are there for you. Because it's their commitment to God, whether you believe in it or not, but it's their faith in God that allows them to sacrifice so much for the other and to be in such places for the other. It's mind-blowing. To be able to stay with your family, even though you're not from there. They, a rabbi was saying, I have an American passport. I can leave. But if I leave, I'm going to completely destroy everybody's feelings of my community. I have 400 members in my community. I'm not just going to leave. That's what one Chabad rabbi said. I have a passport, American passport. He's not even Ukrainian. But for him, he felt that that was his, um, his need. His duty is to stay. That's, that's religion. You don't, like, you don't like religious? Well, at times of need, they're the ones that are going to be there for you the most. And you don't have to wait for that because even without being in need, they are there for you the most. And I'm not just promoting myself. One second. This noise is by. This class is for the health and safety of people, of humanity as a whole, and for the Jews at uh, Ukraine, and for uh, Ukraine itself, and for everybody everywhere. People should be healthy and safe, and with their families, and connected, and at peace, and the world should be in peace. Um, and that's my blessing, and hopefully this learning we do today, uh, tonight, for whatever time we have, is for this. So, um, there is an idea that loving someone isn't respecting them. Ahava, love, does not necessarily mean yir'ah, which means awe. And the word of yir'ah translated isn't fear, it's really more of a sense of awe, right? With God, we have two things. We have, we're meant to have love of God and the awe of God. The awe is like when you see something which is expensive, it's worth a million dollars, a beautiful painting, and you're scared to touch it because it's so valuable. Okay, that's, that's awe. It's so valuable, how can you hurt it? You can have awe of a child. You know, you see a newborn baby and it's so fragile and so young and you're in awe from it. That can happen, right? It's like a sense of respect. It's so, so young and simple. I have a respect for it. So in, in a relationship, whether it's a parent to a child or in marriage, you can have love but not necessarily respect. Right? Can you, can you listen to me? She, he loves you, but he's not listening. We know he loves you. He just told you five minutes ago. And two minutes, five minutes, he just bought you a gift. But why are you not listening? Right? So that's an example where love exists, but respect isn't existing. And you have to have both in a relationship for it to work. We could see this also in... Um, let's say with a child this is, I've given this example I've spoken about this in the past but I've given an example of this parent that waited to have a child for many many years finally the child's born and it was like 15 years they were trying everything finally they had a baby 
and the baby starts growing up. Wow, such a cute boy. Wow, I love you, I love you, I love you. For the first four years, the mom was waiting so long for this baby. All she could say is, I love you. The baby says, I want to f- go here. Yeah, 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 I'll go. Whatever she wants. That's normally what happens, actually. For a parent that didn't have a child for a long time, they have a very strong attachment to the child and a, and a sense of appreciation that someone who had a child straight away may not be able to have because they waited so long for it. So let's say you have this mom, and she has a baby, and she grows it up three, four years, and finally it's the first day she sends the baby to school. So she sends him to school, and she says, okay, my love, it's such a sad day. It's so hard for me to see you go, but I know it's the best thing for you. My love, my love, my love. And she walks him to school. She hugs him. She kisses him. And she says, my love, here you go. Enjoy. Have a great day. And she cries. And from far, she's waving. Uh, and she goes back home. And the whole day, she's thinking, my, my love, my child, I love him. How is he? What is happening? Must be eating now. Maybe he's scared. Maybe he's lonely. Maybe he doesn't have friends. The whole day she's going crazy. Finally, the little boy comes home and she says to him, my love, how was your day? Good. What did you learn? And the child says, I learned that I also have a name. Meaning, uh, it wasn't meant to be a joke, but whatever. Meaning, you're so into loving me you forgot who I am. I didn't even have a name for these past four years. You get how love can get in the way of a certain sense of respect for the other. I love you so much, I should be in your space all the time. Well, then maybe you're not really loving me, you're loving yourself. Respect allows the love to be balanced and done in the right way. Okay, That's a very important foundational concept. If you want a relationship to work, you have to have love, but you also have to have respect. That means a certain sense of awe, not making jokes about the other person, as in just, you know, saying that they're stupid or calling them names or any of those things. If you want that relationship to work, you've got to have a certain sense of respect. Like my wife is sacred. My husband is sacred. It's not just like someone, let's say, uh, there was once someone with me and he was uh, talking you know, a bunch of guys was hanging out and he takes out a smoke he has a bunch of guys he takes out something to smoke and I was like oh no and um, and this was in uh, this was when I went away to visit my friends I went to visit my family and I saw a bunch of friends and they're all married and one of my friends says hey you can your wife's not around you can you can smoke now it's fun. And um, it, at that moment, I was thinking about the concept of respect and love. Respect can be done even when she's not around. Like, if that's something she really doesn't want me to do, and she made a condition with me that I'll marry you on condition that you don't do it, then even when she's not around, I'm going to respect her wishes. Okay? It's, love is, is for kind of, sometimes it's just for my benefit. Respect is for her benefit, and together you, you achieve real love. And by the way, in Hebrew, ahavan yira intertwine with each other. So respect is a, is, a, is a spiritual need, actually. 
in Judaism, it's not just a physical need. It's not a food, right? There's some things that people need which is physical. But giving someone a sense of respect is a spiritual need. And I know that because it says in Hebrew, kavod is one of the names of the soul. The neshama is also called kavod. Leman yezamecha kavod. The kavod will sing for you, Hashem, it says. My respect will sing for you. The soul in me, the spiritual side of me, is in Hebrew called kavod, respect. It's a spiritual need. It doesn't make real sense. The need that a human being has to have some, some sense of dignity, some shame. Humans have a certain sense of shame and they want to be respected. I'll give you an example. A person, once in a while, has got to tell his child off because they're growing, right? So they're learning how to live in this world. You could tell them off, but here's a time where it's most delicate, when they're in public. And sometimes the threat comes. He's not listening. So you say, I'm going to punish you in front of everyone. Right? You can, I'm sure maybe you remember some kind of statement like that. I'm going to punish you in front of everyone. But the embarrassment and shame that you can give even a little child who's three or four years old can ruin that child much more than anything. And it's not worth Shame and embarrassment is a person's life. It says in Jewish teaching that it's better, it's preferable for someone to jump in a fire. It's better to jump into a fire than to be put into a place where you're publicly shamed. Meaning, someone who's embarrassed would rather not exist at this point then be embarrassed publicly. Because having a certain sense of respect, that's very important for human dignity. It's a, it's a human condition, and it needs to be, it can't be demanded. I can't walk around like, hey, yo, respect me. Kavod can also be like anything, can be taken to extreme. Respect can also be taken to extreme. But as a min- minimum decency of a human being, respect is something which is needed. And that's why we're in chapter 2, section 10, and we're continuing the study of last week. And the rabbis that we were talking about were the students of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, and one of them was Rabbi Eliezer Hagadol, the great Rabbi Eliezer. And he said like this, he says, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, he says, Yehi chavod chavecha, the honor, the respect of your friend should be loved on you as if it's your own respect. Don't take away someone's minimum dignity. Because shame, you know what that feels like. And he says, it's not similar to love your love your friend like yourself. But he's specifically, he's specifically talking about the, the respect that a human, decent, human being needs to have. It needs to be loved on you like it's your own. And this can be translated into a number of ways. You can respect someone by being happy for them, being happy for their success. That's, in a way, respecting them. You can compliment someone, and you can respect them by being in pain with them, right? Sympathizing with them or sharing in their pain. That's another way that you can respect them. So, I want to tell you 
some beautiful ideas that are related to respect uh, from, from Maimonides and so on, because it's so, it's so important. Embarrassing is something which is to do with the soul. And uh, here is a, a, some ideas. First of all, Maimonides says that when you give charity, there are eight levels of charity. I'm going to teach you the eight different levels of charity that you can give. Some are higher than others. Who remembers what's the highest level of giving? Eitan? Giving someone a job. Right, giving someone a job. That's the highest. Let me read you Maimonides. And as I read each one, he's going from highest to lowest. Start with the positive. Eight different levels of giving charity, giving to someone. And we're going to see how they're all to do with respecting the person in front of you. Okay? So he says like this. There are eight levels of giving charity. Each one is higher than the other. And the highest level, level number one, is the highest that nothing, nothing can supersede this, which is to holding someone's hand after he fell financially. And you give him some kind of gift or a loan or you do a partnership with him. In a way that he feels that he became independent. You find him a job. Why is that the best way? It's done in a way where he will not, right? You're te- teaching a man how to fish. What does it say? It feeds for a life. He gets fed for a lifetime. So he says, give it to him a job in a way where he will never need your help again. He'll never need someone else's help again. And that's why when the Torah talks about giving uh, charity, it says, You should hold him, support him to a point where he's financially independent. Okay, that's the highest level. Now, we're going to see that there's another level below this, and it's going to leave us with a big question. Second level, second highest level is like this. He says, less than this is giving charity to a poor person and the poor person doesn't know and the wealthy person doesn't know who he's giving to and the poor person doesn't know who he's receiving from. It's completely anonymous. You do it through a medium. So someone else is the one that does, right? There's, a, there's actually an organization here in LA called Tom Khe LA and that's exactly what they do. Everyone makes boxes. You donate money. Everyone makes boxes and then they ask people that don't live in those neighborhoods to go and deliver the boxes so no one's embarrassed. You make the box, you deliver it in another completely different neighborhood and that way the person, you knock on the door, the guy opens the door, even if he sees you, he doesn't know who you are, you're from a completely different neighborhood. So that's how they do. That's the ultimate tzedakah, where you give money to somebody, he doesn't know who you are, and you don't know who he is, it's completely anonymous. Wouldn't you say that's better than the first? The first charity is you're giving him a job, right? The first charity is you give the person a job. The second charity is you give him money with that anonymously. He doesn't know he's getting from you, you don't know he's getting from him. Which one contains more embarrassment, the first one or the second one? You think the second one? 
Huh? Which one has more embarrassment for the person that's for the poor person? I think it's the second one. The second one has more embarrassment. Why? Right, he knows at the end of the day, the second guy knows at the end of the day he's receiving charity. The first guy who gets a loan, or the first guy who gets a job, even though the person that's employing him doesn't need him, but he gets a feeling like he's getting employed, is that embarrassing? No, you're getting a job. Everyone has a job. It doesn't feel as embarrassing. It doesn't feel like someone's giving me charity. You hear what's going on? Okay. He says seven different levels of giving charity, but we see that the levels go based on the embarrassment of the poor person that's receiving the money. The level below this is the giver knows who he's giving to, but the poor person doesn't know who he's getting from. Why is that worse? The poor person doesn't know who he's getting it from. What's problematic with that? The giver knows who he's giving to. And the giver now feels a bit above the other. Oh, I'm above him. I'm the one that gave it to him. You know, there's a certain feeling of, uh, how do you say, condescending or uh, I'm above him, right? And that's a lower level. Now you've got some kind of reward in this world thinking I'm above the other person. So that's a lower level. A lower level than that is that the person, the poor person know who he's taking from and the giver doesn't know who he's giving to. Interesting. The poor person now knows that's a lower level. Why? Because the poor person knows where he's getting it from. That's embarrassing. And he goes, what's the lowest level? Maybe I won't go through the whole thing. What's the lowest level? Giving the money in a sour face. Ah, take it. You need, you need to, why don't you get a job? Fine, whatever, here's $10. Giving it in a sad face. That's the lowest level, because you really, not only did he give the money, it's still a charity, still special, but at the end of the day, you made that person that received the money on a much lower level than he was. Make sense? So, these are some of the ideas. Okay, maybe I'll tell you uh, quickly. Okay, uh, the fourth, the fifth level was somebody who... Uh, gets money before he asks. So you go give him money before he asks. So you see that he's struggling and then you go and give him money before he asks for it. A lower level is when you wait till the person asks. You're like, okay, you never asked me, so I never gave it to him. Well, who should initiate? The giver or the taker? The answer is the giver needs to initiate. It's embarrassing for the taker. So the giver needs to see if somebody's in need and offer him the money. And then a lower level is when someone uh, gives money to the person. They know each other and you give him less than he needs. You know he needs 10 bucks. He says, okay, here's, here's five, uh, 50 cent. You know, and he's like, whatever. So he's embarrassed, but you say, you know, you do it with a smile. Here's, here's 50 cent. And the lowest level is to give what he needs, but in a sad face. It's better to give somebody a dollar, even though you, need, you know he needs 50000 for an operation, let's say. It's better to give him a dollar with a happy face than to give someone all the money he needs with a sad face. You hear that? 
Basically, the concept is, when someone's in need, the most important thing that you should be thinking about is his kavod, his respect, or her respect, right? That is the most important factor, is the respect of the other, the minimum decency of the human being that's in front of you. Same happened with Moses. What was the story on Mount Sinai? You know, the Jews got the Torah on Mount Sinai. Remember that thing? So, what was the story with Mount Sinai? Here's the story. Moses ran away from Pharaoh. Remember this? The Jews were enslaved with the Egyptians. And Moses is like, oh, I'm out of here. He was, they tried to kill him. And he runs away. And Moses gets out of Egypt and goes to a place called Midian. And he's a shepherd. He's looking after animals. That's how he lives. He left Egypt. He's a shepherd. And he's, tra- he's walking around, you know, fields. And he hits this burning bush. And God starts speaking to him. And he says, I know the pain that the Jewish people are going through. You've got to go and save them and set them free. That's the famous story of the Jews in Egypt. And Moses says, no, I, c- I don't want to do it. For seven days, Moses is, this- is communicating with God. And Moses keeps saying, no, I don't want to do it. Why? He says, listen, I'm, I'm not a, no one's going to listen to me. I'm not a man of words. My mouth doesn't speak. He couldn't speak properly. Which is a beautiful thing, by the way. That save the story of the Jewish people. The holiest, like the greatest of the Jewish was Moses. Who was he? A man with a speech impediment. A person that couldn't even speak properly. Because it's not about skills of communication. It's about how good of a person you are. So Moses was a great person. And he was at the mountain. He says, no, I'm not made for it. I can't speak. And then he says one final statement. He says, Shlach na shlach. My brother, Aaron, the brother of Moses, he said, he's the leader of the Jewish people in Egypt. Why don't you use him? And then God says to him, no, 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 no. I want you to be doing it, specifically because of his speech impediment. Aaron, his brother, was the older brother. So he says, Moses says, but I don't want, he's my older brother. God says, don't worry. He's happy that you're going to be the one that's going to lead the Jewish people. He's going to be happy in his heart. When when Moses hears that Aaron, his brother, is going to be happy in his heart, then Moses says, okay, fine, I can do the job. My brother's not going to be upset with me. I'm not taking away his respect. I'll let my brother do the job. And at that point, Moses says, okay, fine, I'm going back. And where does Moses meet Aaron? Aaron is on his way, coming to meet Moses. Where does he meet him? On Mount Sinai. They meet each other at Mount Sinai. And Moses tells him that he was being chosen to take the Jewish people out of Egypt. And Aaron, his brother, gets excited. He hugs him and he's happy. His older brother is happy that the younger brother is the one that gets the mission. Interesting. It's on that place, on Mount Sinai, that later on the Jewish people got the Torah. It was on that specific place where they were united as one and they came together as one. So we see clearly that the greatness of people is those that care about the minimum of those that are around them, right? The ones that are able to respect a certain sense, give a certain sense of dignity to the people around them, those are the ones that achieve greatness. That's how the Jewish people were founded.
The Jewish people were founded based on this one rule that Rabbi Eliezer HaGadol, Rabbi Eliezer the Great said, which is that you should give minimum respect to people as if it's your own respect. What does that mean? Don't embarrass someone. If they are successful, bless them that they are successful. Tell them, I'm so glad for your success. Specifically if they're as good as you in the same area as you. And you're competing with them. Be happy for their success. When you do that, you yourself will be blessed. That is the idea that he's teaching. It's a foundational concept. This is how the Jewish people started. They started on this concept of kavod, of respect. And we see this also with, uh, with giving charity. Giving charity is about giving money to someone, making sure that the person has the most respect and dignity possible. It says that a person would rather... I'll never forget this. I'll give you an example, but it's actually a Talmud. We were, I was once... Uh, in, when I was in Israel, I was studying in a yeshiva, and I see a guy going through bins, garb, trash can, to take out recycling. It's not only here that people do that. Taking out recycling uh, uh, bottles and stuff to get money back for it. And he was digging into the trash can. He looked respectable. I, I said, please, can I give you some money? He said, no. Please, don't give me... No, I don't want money. I don't want money. I said, please, here. It was a very extreme level, but I saw... An old, it wasn't young. It was an older man digging into garbage cans for, for cans. He would rather do that than take some cash from someone. And I was willing to give him $10, $20. Thank you. He had a certain sense of dignity. Now, it could be that at that situation, a person should actually say, okay, I'm willing to take the money, Right? If, you, if you're in a very bad state, you should be willing to take the money. He didn't feel himself that way. And he just said, no, I, I, I'd rather not have it. Thank you. To me, that blew... When I saw his face, an older man who would be w- more willing to dig in a garbage trash can than to ask someone to say, yes, I offered and take the money. That, that to me, I got a recognition at that moment of a sense of dignity. What it means that people would rather be independent and have a certain sense of dignity than be relying on others. It, it spoke to me. And it says that a person would rather take leftover food from the market that's fallen on the floor than, than go and ask people for money. There's a certain sense of embarrassment that people have when asking they'd rather make their own. So that comes from the human dignity, the kavod that people have which is something that we need to respect. Not that someone should demand it, but we need to respect it for other people, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in our children, in every aspect of life. Okay, so that is the first thing he said. By the way, just to emphasize this also, it's hidden in the Hebrew alphabet. You know, the Hebrew alphabet tells me the secret of the world. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet tells me lots of secrets. It's a whole story in the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph represents God himself. Why? Because it's one. Aleph is one. It's the first letter. One, that's how we look at God. He's one. He's not two, not three, not four. He's infinite. It's an infinite being. 
The way that we look at God is also in the sense of Aleph. It goes in all directions. Aleph is the only letter that goes in all directions. It's the only Hebrew letter that goes up, down, left, right, all directions. All the others don't do that. The letter Aleph, the way it's pronounced, is Aluf, which means the wondrous one, the strong one. It's literally the, so the definition of Aleph, if you look at Aleph, the letter, you've got a Yud, a Vav and a Yud, which adds up to 26, which is the same numerical value as God's name. Aleph represents God. What does Bet represent? Bait. What does Bait mean? A house. If you look at a Bet, it looks like a house. You have a roof, you have a wall, an entrance, which is open, and the foundation, right? That's a Bet. The second letter of the Hebrew alphabet is a house. That's what it means, Bait. God built a house, which is this world. That's how we look at this world. This world is like a house, a bait. And every person lives in a home. The bait is open. The house is open on one side and closed on the other. By the way, the bet, because it's finite, two represents finite. So if you look at the bet, the bottom line sticks out a little bit backwards. Right? If you look at a bet, it's like this, and there's a line that goes a little bit backwards. Why? It goes back to Aleph, because where is he coming from? Aleph. He, can't, he faces the other direction, because as long as we're in a physical world, we can't see God. So Bet faces the different direction, but his, the bottom, the foundation of Bet, goes back to Aleph, because that's where he comes from. And what's in Bet? This is a foundational concept, meaning God created a world, and in it is a Gimel and a Dalad. Gimel is to give. If you look at Gimel, the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet, it literally, that's what it means. Gimel means to gomel, to give. And if you look at the Gimel, it literally is walking out of Bet. It's walking out the house. And where is he facing? Right? If you look at Gimel, it's a man, it's like a person walking. It looks like this and like this, right? There's two legs. It's somebody walking. And where are they walking to? Towards Dalad. They're walking towards Dalad. And who is Dalad? The poor person. The poor person is facing the other way of Gimel. He's not facing Gimel. He's facing the other way because he's embarrassed and ashamed. However, if you look at the Dalad, also the Dalad has a little thing at the top of him going backwards. Because although Dalad is ashamed to look back, there are signs, there are ways that a Gimel should go and give to Dalad. But who needs to come out of his house and give? Gimel. Gimel comes out of Bet and he's the one that gives to Dalad because the poor person is shy and he's embarrassed. And it's embarrassing for him to take money. So Gimel is the one that has to come out and be the one that initiates. But on a deeper level, that's how the world is. God created a world which is finite. And what's in this world? Give and take. That's Bet Aleph, Bet Gimel, Dalad. God created a world. Bet is a finite world, a house, which is physical and finite. And what happens in a finite world? Everyone is giving and taking at every given moment. You have love, where one is giving, the other one is taking. One is taking, the other one is giving. In every single situation in your life, you are either giving or you're taking. You have a conversation with someone, it could be either taking from them, 
They could be listening from, to you. They could be giving to you by listening. Everyone or every situation is either giving and taking. And that's the foundation of the world. But the giver needs to come out and initiate to the taker. Because the person that's taking is always ashamed to take from the giver. This goes across the spectrum into many, many languages. talks about relationships and, and kids and life and work. It all ties in. But that's hidden all into the secrets of the Hebrew letters. Okay, so there as well you see the idea of Gimel to Dalad. That Dalad is facing the other way of Gimel. Gimel wants to give to Dalad. Dalad's like shy. He's facing the other direction. Why? Because he's ashamed to take from somebody that's giving to him. And that's a foundational concept in every human being. We have a certain sense of dignity and we have to respect that. Okay, so that is the first teaching of Rabbi Eliezer. The second teaching is, we're going to move on a little quickly. He says, Don't be somebody that's easy to get angry. What does that mean? It's like Shlomo HaMelech says. Shlomo HaMelech, Solomon says in Proverbs, Don't quickly allow your spirit to allow you to get angry. Some people, they train themselves to get angry every... He bothered me. Why, the, why did he say that? Why did he do it? Right? The, wait, calm down. Language. Don't jump in your spirit to get angry. Why? Shlomo Melech says, Because anger that hangs in the chest of the fools is where it hangs. It's always here. It's on his throat. It's ready to jump. The Chafetz Chaim, some rabbis say, where, the wise person, where's his anger hanging? Far away. He has to go and get it. Meaning there's a lot of stages till he pulls his anger card. Right? He's not going to get angry straight away. But an angry person, what does he do? He trains himself every time something small happens, lets himself explode. So he says in the language, if you want to be a successful person that has a good heart, that has a good eye, don't be someone that's quick and easy to anger. Someone that explodes all the time. What does it say about anger? Anyone who is angry, it's as if he served idols. Why? Because when you're angry, you're not thinking. You're in a different dimension. You're not in reality anymore. There's a great analogy that was given. When you heat a pot and you put the gas on and it's filled with water and you put it on and it starts boiling and bubbling and bubbling and eventually the water starts overflowing from the pot. First, where does the water go? When it starts overflowing, it's on your stove. Where does the water go first? On the stove? No. It goes on the pot first. It overflows first. The boiling hot water first hits the pot. Then it hits the stove. Then the water eventually gets onto the, onto the um, uh, countertops. And then eventually it travels around. But it starts off where? On the pot first. And what does that teach me? What does that teach me? When you boil water, who gets affected by it first? 
The vessel himself, we get affected by it first. It's a foundational concept. Anger, evil, the people that suffer from it the most are the people themselves that have it. They're the ones that hurt themselves more than anyone else. They lose friends, they lose uh, health, right? They lose uh, an ability to have clarity, to think. Just like when you boil water, where does the water hit first? The pot itself. So, don't allow yourself to just get angry very quickly. Train yourself and it's something which is something that we work on. I get angry, next time I'll wait. I'm not going to allow it to just flare up very, very quickly. What does he say? He says like this, very interesting. Maimonides says, but what, what do you do? Sometimes you have to show a certain sense of discipline. A child's running on the street. You've got to get angry, otherwise it's going to be dangerous. Or someone's not listening to you, so you have to stand up for yourself. You might have to show a certain sense of anger. Maimonides says, if you need to, keep far, far away from it. And if you really need to, only show it on an external sense, but not internally. Maybe you need to, okay, you have the right to do it. You have the right to do whatever you want. But remember, you can hurt yourself. But you can do whatever you want, but if you need to do it, do it externally and make sure that in your heart there is no anger at all, which is very dangerous because we know that the external has an effect on the internal. Nachmanadi says, how do you avoid anger? Just a quick tip. How do you avoid anger? Titnaeg tamid. He wrote a letter to his son before he passed away. He said, Titnaeg tamid benachat. Always accustom yourself to make sure that your words are very low tone and pleasant. Meaning, when you raise your voice, chances are, you're cooking the pot a little bit. So the best way to lower the levels of anger is actually to lower your tone. And it works. Even if someone else is shouting, actually, we think that a lot of times it's better to shout back. But the best response is to respond on a lower tone. So that way you bring down, you back, you bring down the language back down to... Ah, yeah, and then everyone's back on the same wavelength. So it says that about anger, a person should make sure that he doesn't just flare up all the time. That is unhealthy and you're hurting yourself and the people around you. That was the second statement of Rabbi Eliezer. And finally, he says uh, a very important uh, idea. He says two different things. He says, Shuv yom echad This is very important. Come back one day before you die. What does it mean, come back one day before you die? Become better the day before you die. Improve the day before you leave this world. Why? What does a young person say? Ah, I have many years to live. Ah, I don't need to work on myself. Whatever. But he says you never know when you're going to die. No one knows when they leave this world. That's what they asked him. Rabbi Yezah Gadol, at the end of his life, they asked him, Rabbi, teach us something. He says, Shuv yom echad Come back a day before you die. So they asked him, Rabbi, does anyone know when they're going to die? He says, all the more so 
since you don't know when you're going to leave this world, a person should always make sure that every day is like your last. In terms, not, you know, you know how some people say, you've got to make, your, make each day as if it's your last. Make the most out of each day. Well, in spiritual terms, we say make the most out of each day, as in do as much good as you can, because you never know if this is your last, and you've got to leave a good mark in this world, because if you do, that will stay with you forever. So he says, come back a day before you die. And he says, that's what Shlomo HaMelech says, at all times you should be wearing white clothing, he doesn't mean literally, you should be clean. And always shining and ready, meaning clean as a person, good with others, good with people, or every day. And the rabbi of Rabbi Yezer, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai, said like this, he said, he said, I've got a brilliant parable to teach you what this means, about somebody should come back a day before he dies, because you never know when you're going to leave. He says a parable is a king that tells his... Uh, his uh, people, I want you all to get ready for a feast. But he doesn't tell them when the feast is going to be. I'm making a big celebration, special feast, and I want you all to come. You're all invited. When? TBA. (laughs) The announcement will come out. So he says, the smart people, what do they do? They say to themselves, a king... He has many workers. In minutes, he can make a huge feast. I better get dressed straight away. And the smart people put on their best of clothing. And others say, ah, he's making a feast. He's a king. He's going to make a special feast. He's not just going to make anything. We have time. And they go back to their work. Some that work in leather, some that work with copper, which give a bad odor. And they're dirty, some working coal. And they say, ah, when is the king going to call us? It's going to take time. And all of a sudden, an hour later, the king says, right, the doors are open. Come in. And all those that were ready come in and they sit down, they enjoy the meal. Whilst those that are, have to run out of the coal mines, they have to run out of the, the leather uh, factories, and they come running dirty and not ready for the party. He says that's how it is also in our life. No one knows when we leave this world, but we do know that if we leave, we want to leave a good mark because that's something that stays with us spiritually forever. So he says, that's why he says, Come back. Return to your soul. Make yourself happy in your spiritual sense, not only in physical sense. A day before you die, and what does he mean? You never know when you're going to leave. So treat each day like your last. And then he says, Be, always get warm with the light of the wise. Make sure you get warm with the light of the chachamim, of the rabbis, of the scholars. What does that mean? They have a lot of wisdom to teach you. Come close to them and absorb their wisdom. That's what he said. But be very careful. Because if you get too close, you can damage yourself and damage them. Which means that Don't think that because I'm so close to him, I can also ridicule the smart people, ridicule wisdom, 
ridicule the people themselves. Don't do that. Be careful because it's like a flame. It's good light, but if you get too close and damage it or try to fight it, then you're going to hurt yourself. Why? Because it says in the Talmud that God When God sees that good people in this world are treated badly, people that care, people that teach, people that look after the young, when God sees that those people are treated badly, then even in this world, that will come back to them. Meaning, even in this world, be very careful, they're like a coal. It's like a coal. Don't get too close to the coal, because if you, if you do, you will hurt yourself eventually. You think, okay, who is this? Embarrass him in public, or whatever it is, or her. And they are good people. There's a great rabbi that used to say, you don't have to stay, but please don't kick the door on your way out. That's how he used to say. He used to, there was a Rabbi Noach Weinberg, the founder of Aish, who used to tell people, people used to come to his organization, they used to give lectures and classes and food and uh, a place where people could stay. But not everyone had, liked the teaching of Judaism. So they used to walk out. He says, no problem. No one has to stay. But please, at least don't kick the door on your way out. And that's what he's saying here. Be very careful with the call of those that do good in this world. Because good always wins over evil. And that's a fact. And we've seen it throughout history. And those that have... Uh, that went into the wrong side of the world, in the dark side of the world, they are remembered in that way, and eventually, they hurt themselves, like we said, more than anyone else, right? Like the pot that boils, the water goes on the pot, and then hits the, uh, the countertops. It starts off on the pot, evil hurts itself more than it hurts anybody else. So, That was uh, some of the teachings that we had on today's study. Again, just to go over them, he said, a person should have honor and respect for his friend as if it's your own. And there are three types of honor and respect that you can have for someone. Praise them. By the way, the best way to be loved by the people around you is to compliment the people around you. You want to be friendly? You want to have a lot of friends? You want people to love you? Compliment them. Throw, it doesn't cost money. Someone said it's like poker chips. Just give them out. Compliments are free poker chips. I don't know, he probably liked poker. But just give them out. Give out the chips. It doesn't cost money to compliment people. When you do, you will gain a renewed connection with the people around you. It's the best way to connect to people is through complimenting them. Complimenting someone is covered. By the way, clothing is kavod. It says that the language for a clothing is kabduta. In the Talmud, they call clothing kabduta, which means honor. Even the way someone dresses is a spiritual sign of the person. It shows that when I cover myself, I have a respect for myself. By the way, if somebody feels down or not good with themselves, what does Maimonides say? Maimonides says, go get yourself an expensive clothing and put it on. 
Make yourself look good and feel good on the outside. And that will actually have a good feeling on you on the inside also. You feel a bit down today? I have a way to deal with that depression. Put on a good suit. Make yourself feel really good and go outside for a while. You'll feel good with yourself. Feel good on the outside, you'll feel good on the inside. So kavod is also expressed in the way that we cover ourselves. But human dignity is such an important aspect of every single human being. And we can't allow human dignity to, die, to fall out. Here, the, I'll finish off with a story about human dignity. Oh, I said also, besides for this, don't get angry quickly. Anger is the one that hurts himself more than anyone else. And then we said, a person should always know that treat every day like your last, not to party, but as your last in terms of making the most out of leaving a good impression in this world by doing many mitzvot, good deeds. And come close to those that are wise, but don't hurt them. Come close to those that are good, but don't hurt them. Because eventually you will hurt yourself. Now, there is a story in the Talmud, a very interesting story, of a rabbi called Mar Ukfar. The Talmud has full of mystical stories. And there's a story of Mar Ukfar. He was the rabbi of the Jewish people at his time. And he would give tremendous charity. He, he was doing well. He, him and his wife, they would go together and give people charity. And there was this specifically one poor person that lived in such bad conditions and he was embarrassed to leave his home. And every day, at the same time, the rabbi would go and leave. To, they would walk around the area and as soon as they go past this, this person's house, they'd leave him, an, leave him an envelope with some money at his door. And for months on end, this poor person sees at his door an envelope with money. And at some point, one second, at some point he says, okay, who is this person giving me money every day? So he decides to put a little thing at the door. The minute that someone comes in, he's going to see the door move. He had some kind of string or something. And he'll run to the door and try and catch this person. Who is it? He sees uh, these two, the rabbi and this wife. That His wife start walking towards his house. He's like, they, well, it says in the Talmud that that day they were late. Normally they came at a specific time every day. But that day specifically they were late. And he was waiting. He's like, oh, where are they? And at some point they come. He sees the door moving a little bit. He runs. He opens, yanks the door open. And they were wearing a cloak. Each one of them, that's how they dressed. And they quickly, as soon as they see him opening the door, they cover their faces, turn around, and they run. And they ran. And he says, I'm going to catch them. And he runs after them. Come back! And they run as if they're thieves. They were giving him charity. Come back, come back. And he runs. Marukfa and his wife are running at their fastest pace. And at some point, they see that there's a closed alley. They're stuck. The guy's behind them and he's fast. And him and his wife are stuck. There's an alley. And they see just there, there's a bakery that just opened. He's opening his uh, doors. They said, oh. We'll go in the bakery. Maybe we can hide somewhere in there. They ran in the bakery and they see an oven that was just used. It was just used. The, the coals were already removed, but the oven was hot. And they ran into the oven. 
just so that this man shouldn't see them. And they hid in the oven. And at one point, we're talking about the greats of the Talmud. At one point, Marukva, the rabbi's feet started burning, obviously. So his wife says to him, here, put your feet on mine, because mine aren't burning. What? And he says to her, why? How, what merit do you have that your feet are not burning? This thing is burning hot. <laughs> She's wearing shoes. What merit do you have that your feet are not burning? And she says to him, because when I give charity, you give charity, you give charity, you give money. But when pe- I'm at home and when people knock on the door, I open it and they say, can I have something to eat? And immediately I don't give them money. I give them the food straight away. They get what they need immediately. But by you, it takes them time. You have, to, you have to get the money and then they have to go and they have to buy their food. But someone who's starving, they need the, they need the food immediately. And when they come to the door, because I'm home, I give them the food immediately. And in that merit, my feet are not burning in this oven. Okay, this is another level. The Talmud has many mystical stories like this. And the Talmud then asks a question. Are they that crazy? Run into an oven just so that they shouldn't embarrass this, this poor man? And the Talmud says, yes. A person would rather jump in a flame, like we said. A person would rather jump in a fire than embarrass somebody else. That's how much it is important in Jewish teaching to not embarrass somebody else. Now, I don't think anyone's on that level. But at least we can learn from the story of the Talmud how important it is to be aware of human dignity. If somebody's, lo- you know, there's a certain point where you see somebody and there's minimum human dignity. Needs a clo- uh, uh, they're not even clothed. Give them a blanket or something. Right? There's a certain sense where you can't see. I'm sure this has happened to you. But the minimum human dignity, when you see that it's taken away from them, that's a, that's, for us, that's everything. That's, a human being is a soul, and their soul is being hurt. So uh, that is my, uh, well not mine, but Rabbi Liezer's teaching for today, which is uh, that although we have an idea of love, we think of love only as love, but we forget that there's another aspect to love, and that's called respect. You have ahava and you have yir'ah, and they intertwine with each other. You can love someone and not respect them. And Judaism says that you've got to respect them in order to achieve the love for them. Because respect touches the soul. Respect shows that you care about that person's soul. Not just about, because that's what respect is. Kavod is the, the, one of the words for soul. When you give ch- a respect to a child, even a child who's three years old, embarrass them, they will remember that for life. You can tell a child off, but you can't embarrass a child in public. Even a little child. Because kavod, when you touch their, their soul, embarrass their dignity, it, it, it destroys everything. Anyway, so my blessing is that we should all be uh, super awesome people that are able to communicate and give best compliments to those that are around us, to be uh, true lovers, that have uh, love and respect for those that are around us, and to recognize the 
the, the dignity of every person's soul as well as their body and physical needs. Okay. Thank you all.